All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for your goodness, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who guides us into all truth. And Lord, we just pray that you would guide us now and lead us and have your way with us. And uh, we just want to hear from you, Lord. So do a work in our hearts, please, that would bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians 5. As you turn in there, as an overview, uh, God is giving us uh, sort of a little bit of a, of a uh, sort of a snippet, if you will, on end times events, okay? And frankly, the reason Paul is just giving a snippet is because this is probably the snippet that's most relevant to us as believers, as it was to the church in Thessalonica. And that is, you know, human history's playing out, right? And as, right? Yeah. And as human history plays out, you know, you really, uh, what's most relevant are sort of the next events that are going to play out. And so Paul's going to, Paul's kind of getting into these next events uh, that play out. Um, so let's just read about it. He starts out, verse five, chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So that's the intro to just kind of get our feet wet. But when he says, but concerning the times and seasons, we get the sense there that this is a continuation of a thought, right? Makes you want to do what? Review. Review. Go back. Thank you. It's one of the reasons I married her. <laughs> Start in chapter 4, verse 13 to give us the picture of this. Because you remember, we've talked about this before, in the, original, in the original manuscripts, there weren't chapter divisions, right? So that big blue five wasn't in my Bible if I was reading the original manuscript. So really, this is kind of a continuation of a thought. But just to kind of get our, sort of, the bigger picture, he starts out, he says, but I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. We talked about all this last week, so I won't go into, any, I won't go into a lot of detail on that. Here's where I want to kind of pick up for today. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Now, does he say... This is how it might play out. We're just not real sure. It depends on how, po how politics works. No. Does he say it depends on uh, world events and who gets elected? No. no. He says, for the Lord himself, what's that next word? Will. Will. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up and again that word is harpazo in the Greek the Latin translation of it is rapturus so people sometimes will say well the word rapture is not in the Bible well it's in the Latin Bible all right shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord therefore comfort one another with these words but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So in a sense, I want us to kind of highlight from, from sort of if we put the end of chapter 4 and the first couple verses of chapter 5 together to sort of set the stage for the rest of what we'll talk about in chapter 5, and that is this. There are basically two events that Paul is talking about. He's talking about the rapture of the church, when Jesus comes, uh, those who are alive, Paul literally thought that he might be in that group. He thought that Jesus, you know, and there's, again, that there's always in the church, 
There always has been a need that we have this idea of the imminent return of Jesus, right? Somehow, some way, we need to know that Jesus could come back any time. And as you read through, when, particularly in the Gospels, whenever Jesus talks about end times events, the, I hope you get the idea, the gist he always gives is watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. Well, if I know that something's not going to happen for 20 years from now, I might, not, I might be tempted to not watch and be ready. But Jesus said, watch and be ready. So we should always live as if Jesus could come back today. It would be awesome if he came before I get done teaching today. That wouldn't offend me at all. He could interrupt me if he wants, right? I'd be good with that. But what he's talking about here is there's the rapture of the church, and then additionally, there's what he refers here to as the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord, if you Google it, is a um, phrase that is really throughout the Scripture. And it never refers to, and we always, what's the best commentary on the Scripture? Scripture. Scripture, scripture is always the best commentary on Scripture. And so when we look at other, other areas of Scripture where we see that phrase, the day of the Lord, it's never a single day in this context, particularly in future events. Now, if you've ever heard Ken Ham speak for more than 10 seconds, right, he's going to talk about how the day in Genesis chapter, you know, one in the, in the beginning, you know, and all that and the creation, that is a literal 24-hour day. It's a completely different context, completely different um, if you look at it in the Hebrew. Anyway, all that to say, this day of the Lord is a time period. Everybody okay with that? It's a time period. And specifically, if you look at elsewhere in Scripture, uh, in Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 and 11, the day of the Lord is described as wrath and fierce anger. The day of the Lord in, uh, in Joel 22, 28 32, Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18, throughout the Scripture, oh, also it's taught um, in Isaiah, he says, I will punish the world for its evil. And so there's throughout the Scripture, Almost the entire book of Joel is about the day of the Lord. But throughout the scripture, the day of the Lord is a reference to a period of time whereby God will pour out his wrath of judgment on earth. Now, is that a fun thing to talk about? Not really. Do we talk about just the fun stuff? No. We talk about the whole counsel of God. Paul said, I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God, and that's what we do right? Because we want to be ready, right? How do, you know, how do you know to prepare if you don't know what the, you know, where the landmines are? But the reality is, there I believe, and, and, and this is, you know, if you put together um, prophecies throughout the scripture, you know, if you go to Daniel, specifically chapter 9, if you go to verses in Ezekiel, you can go through Jeremiah, you can go through Isaiah, you can go through all the prophets, you can go up to Jesus there in the, in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, you can go through First and Second Thessalonians, you can go through Revelation, you kind of put together the, the whole picture, right? But specifically regarding the day of the Lord, the, tr the wrath that's being poured out is, I believe, clearly described in Revelation chapter 6 through 18 as a seven-year period that we know as the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation is a seven-year period where basically God, God does two things. Number one, he pours out his wrath on an unbelieving world. Number two, he, uh, it's, it's sort of his uh, final ingathering, if you will, of the Jewish people, right? You may have heard about the 144,000 in the book of Revelation, right? The 144,000 are very specifically male, Jew, Jewish, male Jewish virgin, if you want to get specific, evangelists. And they will be part of God's effort to uh, regather the Jewish people uh, specifically to get saved during that final seven-year period of time. Those who have rejected him prior to that time. And if you look back at Daniel chapter 9, if you really want to get that's the 70th week of Daniel, if you talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel, and you hear people talk about that. Okay, so that's all that. So we have the day of the Lord, 
and we have the rapture of the church. Fair enough? And we made a case last week that the rapture of the church will immediately precede this tribulation period. Now today we hear more about that tribulation period, right? The day of the Lord. Now, just kind of to reiterate a little bit, we mentioned last week that I think that the, I believe the Bible teaches us that the rapture of the church comes before this tribulation period. First of all, who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the Thessalonian church, right? So by application, he's writing to us, okay? If he were going to tell us, tell you what, here's how this rolls out. There's going to be a seven-year tribulation. You're all going to live through it. It's going to be pretty much as it's described in Revelation chapter 6 through 18. Um, And then at the end of that, we're going to be raptured. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You feel comforted? If I tell you that we're going to live through the tribulation? No. No. Honestly, if you take Revelation 6 through 18 at face value, no. There's no comfort in that. Right? Furthermore, as we'll read here in a minute, he says in verse 9 of chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, God did not appoint us to wrath. The tribulation is the wrath of the Lord. And I think where this breaks down, I think if you can kind of work with me on a little bit of a distinction that I think helps discern how people interpret this, okay? And by the way, if you believe in a post-tribulation rapture, we're all going to wind up in the same place, right? So we can practice now not beating each other up over it, right? I'm just telling you what I believe the Bible teaches. So, um, forget where I was going with that. God did not, oh, God did not appoint us to wrath, okay? There's some things that the Bible teaches that we go through that is described as tribulation, right? Jesus said in John chapter 16, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. There's a certain type of tribulation that we go through, right? We go through trials and tribulations, we say, right? There's stuff we go through, sometimes as uh, just because stuff we go through, sometimes it's the discipline or the chastening of the Lord, right? But it's not God's wrath, right? And so if you believe that the tribulation is like, Eh, just some hard stuff you go through, then you're going to have a hard time agreeing with me on a pre-tribulation rapture. If you believe that the tribulation is way different, then I think you have to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Well, if you take Revelation as literally as possible, that's just so... the, The stuff that's described in Revelation is so apocalyptic that there's no way we could describe that as like, yeah, I'm having a hard day. I'm going through hard times. God's disciplining me. No, that's wrath. It's the wrath of the Lord. And we know that elsewhere because it's described as the wrath of the Lord. And so, anyway, the day of the Lord is described as is the wrath of God, the seven-year tribulation period. So if we understand it that way, We can read this at the end of chapter 4. Paul's telling us, hey, you know what? We who are alive when Jesus comes back for the rapture of the church, we're going to be caught up and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But regarding the times and seasons, you guys don't need that I need to write. You guys have no need that I should write you necessarily, for you already know that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. So that tribulation that follows the rapture of the church you know it's going to come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, we made an interesting just little jump right here. I'm sure you all caught it, but I'll just say it for the purposes of the tape, right? And that is we switched pronouns. Anybody notice that? All right, let me back up. A pronoun is a word that describes a noun, or it's kind of, well, that's an adjective. It's, it's, a, it's a, a replacement word for a noun. So instead of saying Scott, I might say I, or you might say you, or you might say he, right? That's a pronoun. 
Good. I'd like to make sure everybody's comfortable with where we're going. We just went from you to they. You notice that? You don't need to worry about the day of the Lord. For when they... Now, is they... Paul's writing to the church. When he uses the word they, do you think he's talking about the church? No. Who's he talking about? He's talking about an unbelieving world. Now, that's interesting to me. Because you know what they say? Peace and safety. Can I tell us, put on your antennas. Because they say peace and safety. I want to go off on this for a minute. Can I go off? Thank you. They are going to say peace and safety. Now you say, boy, that sounds like an us and them kind of a thing. You know what? It is. It is. As graciously and as empathetically and as compassionately as we can come up with, we need to be aware of this. Because otherwise, I think we're not going to be alert for things that are to come. And I believe, I've said this before, I believe, you know, it may not happen for a while, but we have some pretty good reason to believe that these events could happen very soon. And we need to be ready. You want to be ready? Or you want to be caught sleeping? You want to be caught with your hands in the cookie jar? Okay. You want me to come up with another metaphor or analogy or figure of speech? No, we don't want to be caught off guard, right? That's why he tells us here, he's gonna, I'm going to read it here twice here in a minute, uh, that we need to be sober. Never before have I ever felt the need to declare to the world we need to be sober. It is not time for games now. And so they, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say peace and safety. What do we need in our world right now? What's the world crying out for right now? Peace and safety. And you know, one of the events that's going to happen in the Great Tribulation is the Antichrist is going to rise to power. And for those first three and a half years of the tribulation, of the seven-year tribulation, he's going to make a covenant with the Jewish people. He's going to be like the guy that brings in peace and safety. Sort of a globalism, kind of a, like we all need peace and safety, right? Now, I was thinking about this this morning. This is where I said, can you give me five minutes? So that clock didn't start until just now. (laughs) That was the intro to the five minutes. But if you give me five minutes... I was thinking, I was thinking this morning, before I would declare to you something you need, I have to declare to you the problem that you have. Does that make sense? Anybody, if you've ever been in sales, you know, it's hard to sell somebody something that they don't think they need, right? I remember back in the day when I used to, uh, when I, mostly when I was up in Indianapolis, I, as a doctor, I would, well, I'd listen to the drug reps spiel before I realized how completely um, corrupt Big Pharma has changed all of healthcare. Uh, Anyway, did I? Never mind. Forget that. And so I used to sit and listen to these drug reps. And I remember one guy. He would go on and on and on, trying to sell me, uh, trying to get me to get my patients to buy a medicine that costs several hundred dollars that's going to fix toenail fungus. Ever go with that? Right? So for several hundred dollars, you can buy a drug that, by the way, probably interacts with almost every other drug you've ever taken and uh, was taken off the market for a while and blah, 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 blah. But hey, it's good. Because I was eating the lunch. And... Um, It'll fix toenail fungus, right? Right? Now, I wear sandals once in a while. 
but I'm not going to spend $1,000 to make my toenails look pretty. Right? And if you're really vain, you can do that if you want. I'd say just paint them. It's a lot cheaper. Right? They're trying to sell me something for a problem that doesn't exist. Fair enough? And that's a hard sell. For when they say to you, peace and safety, do you see what's happening in the world today? And what's happening in the world, and if you think about this, and, you, and as it plays out in Babylon the Great, and you know, all this blah, 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 there's sort of a, global, uh, a move toward globalism in the realm of religion, economics, and politics. Now, are we religiously divisive in this world today? And wouldn't it be awesome if somebody came up and just like made us all one big happy family and, and we could sing We Are the World Again, right? Right? That'd be awesome. And has anybody ever noticed that we're pretty politically uh, divided, not only in America, but all over the world? Man, it'd be pretty cool if we could bring some peace there, right? And maybe some unity. That'd be cool. Economically, anybody checked their 401k balances lately? Right? Man, wouldn't it be awesome if we could have like an economic savior? Right? You see what I'm saying? These things are not toenail fungus. These things are real problems that the world would say needs a real solution. Safety. Is there a safety issue in the world today? If you're in Ukraine, do you feel like there's a safety issue? Yeah, there's a real problem. There's a real problem. And so, can I tell you this? Have your antennas up. When the world, when the world, the same world system that built the Tower of Babel, and it's been going on ever since the Tower of Babel, wants to come up with a man-made, without God, solution to our world problems. Is that fair? Yeah. Does that make sense? Does that sound, I hope that doesn't sound, make us sound creepy, because I'm going to read again, therefore comfort one another with these words. Right? And by the way, we're not appointed to wrath. Okay? So, you know, it's not necessarily an escape thing for us. We will be, I believe we'll be raptured before these events happen. But there's a sense in which, I think, and Chuck Smith used to always say this, he says, you can tell when Thanksgiving is coming, because what? The Christmas decorations start to go up. Right? That's how you can tell Thanksgiving is coming. I think we can tell the rapture is coming when we start to see signs that sort of uh, might be building towards things that we would see in the Great Tribulation, right? In the Great Tribulation, is there going to be a mark of the beast? And is there going to be uh, chips implanted? Yeah. Could we have seen that 50 years ago? No, not necessarily. We'd say, well, I guess it has to happen somehow. Now we can like see how it would happen, right? Does that make us freak out? No, it makes us more like, whoa, the rapture might be getting closer. And you know what? The rapture is closer than it was yesterday. I can tell you that with absolute certainty. Right? And so when they say peace and safety, let me just tell you, beware of when they say peace and safety. Now, do we want peace? Absolutely, we want peace. Do we want to be, let me just, in terms of, uh, you know, political dialogue and, and all that kind of stuff, can I suggest that we desperately need to learn how to be gracious? We as Christians desperately need to learn how to be gracious. I am burdened by, um, I mean, we're going to be criticized by the world, right? No ifs, ands, or buts about it. We're going to be criticized by the world. But one of the criticisms I think has quite a bit of legitimacy is the way we sometimes carry ourselves as we're like trying to fight. We're not trying to fight. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We do have a struggle. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, the powers, the authorities of this dark world, and the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. But not against our f flesh and blood 
uh, fellow human beings. So when they say peace and safety, keep this in mind. It's just like when Jesus said, you know, in, the day, in those days, it's going to be like the days of Noah. They're going to be like, uh, you know, people be eating and drinking and carrying on and kind of doing their thing, and it's just going to be normal. And there's going to be a lot of Christians who are going to be sort of marginally awake when that day comes. Let that please not be said of us. Let's be alert. The days are short. The days are short, so should we be like the Thessalonians? They were, Paul faulted them for this a little bit, just like hanging out, like, come on, Jesus, let's go, let's go, let's go, come on, bring it on. Or should we say, wow, you know, I don't know how long the Lord, the Lord is perfectly sovereign in his plans. I don't know how much longer we have, but you know what? I am burdened for that person that I know that is lost. And I am burdened that that person might not go in the rapture with me. So I want to take whoever I can with me as graciously as I can. There's some that won't hear it, and to them, we can't force it on them. But notice, when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction is going to come. It's going to come like labor pains on a pregnant woman. You know, a woman that goes through labor, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. And that's the picture that he gives us. And then he says, they shall not escape. But you, brethren, the pronoun just changed again. Did you get this? But you, brethren, we're not talking about they now, you are not in darkness, so this day should overtake you as a thief. So again, this day, the day of the Lord doesn't apply to you because we're not appointed to wrath. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let us watch and be sober. So we're not going to be quote, overtaken, verse 4, by the great tribulation. We're going to be raptured, I believe. And then I want you to notice here, this is fascinating to me, so what do we do in response to this knowledge? Like, okay, let's say there is a rapture of the church that's followed by a great tribulation, and let's say that is going to happen sometime soon, and let's say one of the ways we know that, it's, that it might be around the corner is that the world, apart from God, is preaching peace and safety and trying to fix all the world's problems in and of themselves, just like the Tower of Babel. What if I have that information? I like this. Therefore, verse 6, therefore. And I want to highlight this for a second. Paul's going to go for the rest of this chapter now, saying, all right, we've talked about the rapture of the church and the great tribulation. Now, therefore. Kind of like, now therefore, this is how we should live. And here's what I want to highlight. There is nothing earth-shattering in from therefore to the end of the chapter. You know what it is? It's, it's all like, just live faithful, obedient lives. You know, work with your hands, live a quiet life, that sort of stuff, right? I kind of like that. He doesn't say, therefore, freak out. Therefore, hit the panic button. Therefore, start prepping. Right? Therefore, store up guns. Therefore, store up food. Therefore, store up, store up, store up, store up. Right? Now, if you think you will live through the Great Tribulation, maybe you need that stuff. I'm looking to Jesus the author and finisher of my faith. Right? Now, our power went out on Thursday night. Right? Is it okay to have a little water? Right? A basement full of stuff to eat? And that's okay. You okay with this? It's not, it's not, weird. It's not too weird? Right? And the Lord has to speak to each of us however we're supposed to respond to the days we live in. But I think Paul gives us some pretty good uh, little nuggets here. And I love it because he gives them to us as a therefore. And it's, it's really a therefore live faithful, obedient lives according to the word of God. So I like that there's no real big magic punchline. That is the punchline. Does that make sense? So in light of all these things, you know what? 
we shouldn't be overtaken in darkness uh, of the day of the Lord because we're sons of the light. We're not sons of, the, uh, of night or, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. You know what do we do at night? Generally. Unless we're shift worker. We sleep. Right? What do people do at night? They sleep. It's dark. What happens when people walk in the dark? They stumble. Right? They don't see clearly. They don't they have a hard time knowing where they're going. We're not like that. We need to be people of the day. We need to be watchful. We need to be sober. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober. Same word. It's also translated, be on the alert. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So we need to be on the alert. Not only to avoid the devil in, on a daily basis, just in living our daily lives, right? Because he loves to trip us up. Our flesh loves to trip us up. So we need to be on the alert, not just for that, but also for just the big picture of life that's going on, a history that's playing out, right? Can I beg us as believers to be sober, to be on the alert, that if Jesus could come back at any moment, which we believe he could, we need to be on the alert. We need to be on the alert. I believe this world is very distracting. It's distracting to me, honestly. And we need to be on the alert. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober. You get the idea? supposed to be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So we need to be very careful that we're sober, not just, you know, sober, not drunk, but sober, being alert, being watchful, being aware of a bigger picture. Being aware that when we, see, when we hear a cry for uh, worldwide peace and safety, that triggers an alertness. Does that make sense? Thursday night, the storm's coming through, right? Tracy's like, do you have like, does your phone basically give you, uh, you know, the, whatever you call them, the... The no alerts, notification, all that, right? Well, somewhere along the line, I turned those off because I was getting, you know, 3 a.m., you know, your phone's going crazy because there might be fog somewhere in Ripley County tomorrow, right? So I shut all those down. But it's like, you know, there's kind of a sense of like, and of course, you know, I'm trying to, I can't figure out how to get it back on. It's kind of, there needs to be an awareness of what's going on, right? I was alert on Thursday night. Am I always spiritually that alert? I wish I could say yes. Do I need to be reminded and exhorted by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, to be on the alert, to be ready? Yes, I need that. We all need that. And we all need to be very, you know, very alert, very careful. And if the Bible tells us to be very alert, very careful, be sober, why do you think the Bible might tell us that? Because those are the areas that we might get a little sloppy in, right? We might say, yeah, but you know what, I, I want to have fun today. I want to sleep in today. I want to get drunk today. Everybody's doing it, right? Why all the big fuss? And I believe God would say, be on the alert.
Put on the breastplate of faith and love. Now you know from Ephesians chapter 6, talking about the whole armor of God, the breastplate is described as the breastplate of righteousness. Here it's called the breastplate of faith and love. Well, I would say to that, if you're walking in faith, right, knowing that God is who he says he is, and you're living by faith, and you're living according to love, right? Fruit of the Spirit is love. So you're walking in the Spirit by faith. Are you going to be righteous? Yeah, yeah you're going to be righteous. So it's the breastplate of righteousness carried out through faith and love. And then as a helmet, the hope of salvation, right? And so, you know, the, the helmet of salvation is described also in Ephesians chapter 6. And here he adds the hope of salvation. Now, it's not a hope like, gee, I hope things get better. Gee, I hope I make it to heaven. Gee, I hope my good outweighed my bad. No, it's hope. We have that hope like when I said Jesus will come back. That's the hope that we have. Yeah. It's the knowledge. It's, the, it's, it's in our head, yeah. right? That emotional like, well, I hope this, you know, hope this all goes better, right? That's more in our gut, <laughs> right? The hope I'm talking about is in our head. I know Jesus is coming back. How do I know? According to the Word of God. Well, how do I know that the Word of God is valid? Well, it's all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How do I know the Bible is true? Because we've studied it, right? All that more than a carpenter stuff, all of that. We know about the documents. We know all about that. And we know that as it plays out, even history itself testifies to the truth of Scripture, right? We see it play out. We see it play out before our very lives. So I have that hope, and it's in my head because I know it, and we know it by the Word of God. As we know the Word of God, we have the hope, and that protects our head. By the way, if you're going to battle, right, what do you want to protect? The stuff that your breastplate covers, and the stuff that your helmet covers, right? Yeah. If they take off your, your toes, right? Well, it's not quite as tragic, right? Especially if you got toenail fungus, right? <laughs> Took care of that problem for free, right? But you want to cover that head and that breastplate stuff, right? And so he's saying, you know what? The rapture of the church is coming. The great tribulation is coming. And therefore, watch and be sober. Put on the breastplate. Put on the helmet. Right? Have hope in that. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe this might be the most critical verse to understand end times events as they play out for the Christian. God did not appoint us to wrath. Now, I guess some could debate whether the Great Tribulation is God's wrath or if it's just, you know, a whole series of bad days. I think it's God's wrath. And if I think it's God's wrath, and I know from this verse, God did not appoint us to that. I do not believe that God would take us through the Great Tribulation. I don't think it makes, I don't think it's biblically logical. I think you've got to really, really, really unravel the Scripture in order to come up with that. And as we said before, just for completion, when Jesus came the first time, did he fulfill prophecy literally or allegorically? Was he born in like a sort of a, from a sort of a virgin? Was he born in like sort of Bethlehem? No. Very literally. Very literally. So, Anyway, that's where that comes from. If, if people disagree, beat the snot out of them. No, just kidding. If they disagree, we love them as a brother, right? And we evangelize the world. And our, on our way up to heaven, being raptured in the clouds prior to the Great Tribulation, you won't have to say anything. Just kind of wink at them on your way up. Right? You probably won't care about that. 
right? He's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. And whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. It's all about Him. Whether we're awake, whether I'm alive or dead, it's all about Jesus. And I'm going to be with Him. It's all that really matters. It's all that really matters. Therefore, comfort one another. Comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. And I love this. He says this twice now. He said it at the end of, verse, of chapter 5, and he says it again. Comfort one another and edify one another. Sometimes I'm a little disheartened, frankly, when I hear people talk about end times events or, you know, looks like it's coming, could be any time. You know, this world event means this, and this world event means this, and you can kind of feel their blood pressure, and like your blood pressure is supposed to go up with them. You know what I'm saying? When I read just a simple reading of 1 Thessalonians, I say, therefore, comfort one another with this knowledge. As it guides our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, comfort one another with this. Don't freak out. Don't cause anybody else to freak out. We got plenty to freak out about, right? Comfort each other. Edify each other. And we, exhort, and we urge you, brethren, and then he gets some final just miscellaneous exhortations. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. So, you know, this speaks to church leadership, which is kind of awkward for a church leader to read, but it is what it is, right? He says, uh, you know, church leadership... Hang with them. And I'll say it again. I so appreciate you guys as a body. You know, I go to, and I've said this before, I'll do it again. I go to these pastors' conferences sometimes, and I'll hear other pastors talk, and, you know, they talk about the people in their church, and usually the word sheep comes up, which is not edifying. And, you know, they talk about this person, this, and everybody's going through this, and people are going through struggles, and, and, so, you know, every, every now and then you'll hear somebody talk about, well, you know, we had this church split and this, this guy took this group this way and this, this, this way and everything's just real ugly and antagonistic. And, and I'm like, we got a bunch of people that just kind of take care of each other and it's just all kind of sweet and they're super supportive of me and I'm very encouraged to be here and I just get to teach the word. And I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful for that. I believe this is a description in these verses 12 and 13 of a healthy church. Now, there are lots of churches with lots of different sort of leadership structures and all that. And, you know, it's just healthy for people to support their church. Now, if you have a Weird pastor. <laughs> then call him out. Right? But, you know, there's, there's, there should be, and I remember this, I'll just tell you this honestly. You know, when we were up in Indianapolis, uh, as a church, and, you know, part of, I think in hindsight, you've, some of you heard me tell the story before, in hindsight, it was the Lord stirring my heart to come down here. But I remember in those days, I kept saying things like, now if I was the pastor, if you ever say, if I was the pastor, don't say it to me. <laughs> right? But let me just, maybe the Lord wants you to be the pastor. But maybe we just need to be careful. Is that fair? And then he says, be at peace among yourselves. That's a healthy body being at peace among itself. It's a sweet description. And he says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Can I notice this? Uh, it says, we exhort you, brethren. It doesn't just say the pastor. It's not, this is not the pastor's job. This is the brethren's job. This is everybody's job. 
right? Number one, warn those who are unruly. Do unruly people ever walk into the church? Yeah. Aren't any here today? Good. Have unruly people ever walked in here? Yeah. Does it say fix the unruly? Does it say kick the unruly's tail? No, it says warn them. I like this. Can you highlight this for a second? Warn the unruly. If somebody's walking contrary to the word, if they're just being, now, you know, everything should be done decently and in order. Paul gives a great description. I mean, you know, if we had somebody come in here and wanted to start shooting or whatever like that, we've got a plan in place for that. Don't worry. Um, you know, but if, if super weird stuff happens, we'd have to deal with it, right? I think what he's talking about here is not like that stuff that's like super like obviously weird, but sort of, sort of kind of weird. Does that make sense? Because there's a lot of that in the church, in the body of Christ. But I think we need to leave room for God to fix those people, right? I've had to learn this the hard way over a long period of time with God's grace. And that is this. If somebody is walking down a road that is unhealthy. I, I'll, tell, well, I'll tell you what I used to do. I used to like say, hey, dude, you're walking down a road that's unhealthy. And if they didn't listen, you know what I'd say? I'd say, dude, you're walking down a road that's unhealthy, right? And you've heard me say this before. It's like when you go to Mexico and you say, where's the bathroom, right? And they look at you like you're stupid. And what do you do? You say it louder and slower, still in English. I said, where is the bathroom? <laughs> and they still look at you like you're stupid. So you scream at them, right? And before you know it, you're in a fist fight with this person that just doesn't speak English, right? That's how we deal with the unruly people too often, right? I believe it's our job I love this description. Warn them. Say, hey, from what I see in Scripture, and I could be wrong, it looks like the end of that path doesn't look good. You do what you want. But it looks like the end of that path doesn't look good. You've done your job at that point. You've warned the unruly. Let God deal with them. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, God will do it more graciously than you will. God always does it. So when God does it, oh, he does it right. He does it right. Warn the unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. You know, there are people that are just faint-hearted. They're stressed. They're weary. We need to comfort them. We need to uphold the weak. Is everybody strong in the body of Christ? No. Is that like a character flaw? No, it's just reality. Have we all been weak at some point in the body of Christ? Yes. We who are strong need to uphold the weak. Be patient with all. We need to be patient with all. And again, that's not just for church leadership or for anybody special. That's for you, brethren. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Don't render evil for evil to anyone. To anyone. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is, it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Getting even should never be on a Christian's agenda. Getting even should never be on a Christian's agenda, period. And I would further that to say, somebody's asking me earlier, how do I know, like, what's a good litmus test if I'm getting bitter? And I would say getting bitter means you kind of almost hope that maybe that person will get what they deserve. Right? Let God deal with that stuff. But always pursue what is good for both yourselves and for all. 
Then finally, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. These words are over our fireplace. Why? Because I need to read them every day. I need to read them. Rejoice always. Doesn't mean rejoice in every circumstance, or rejoice for the circumstance. It doesn't specify what the circumstance, it just says rejoice always. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Proverbs 17.22 says, a joyful heart is good medicine. You know, there's an interesting thing. Did I tell you about oxytocin recently? Yeah. Joy releases, if you're joy and you choose to be thankful and joyful, it releases this hormone, oxytocin, in your blood. I've just learned this recently. And that does good things for your health. Could it be that when the Bible says a joyful heart is good medicine, could it be that that's true? Could it be that there's like a real physical connection to that? You bet. Because of my age, I've been studying recently about longevity, right? You probably all know this because I probably talk about this to everybody all the time. I used to say, I want to live to be 100, right? Now I say, I want to be functional till I'm 100, right? I want to feed myself when I'm 100. And so, you know, I mean, God can do whatever he wants. I mean, I hope the rapture of the church happens before I'm done talking and I'm getting close to the end. But if God would tarry, I want to be as good a steward of this body as I can, basically. And I want to be functional. Well, and so I've been studying these things. And it's very fascinating to me, if you study longevity, and it is, a, it is its own study, if you study longevity, and people at various places throughout the world, it's pretty interesting, who tend to live to be 100 and do it right and do it well, and, if, and people have studied what are the common features of those, of those groups of people, and you know about half of them are physical, and about half of them are spiritual and emotional. Could it be that a joyful heart is good medicine? Yes, it could. Absolutely. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Well, how do you pray without ceasing? It's a relationship we have with God, right? We're always talking with Him. We're always, if I spend the day hanging out with my wife, right? If I spend the day hanging out with my wife, I'm not spending all day like, um, honey, would you please bless my uh, job today? And would you bless this? And would you do this? And would you do this? And, I mean, there's some intercession, right? But a lot of it's just fellowship, right? Just talking with the Lord because we have fellowship with the Lord. In everything, give thanks. Not necessarily for everything because some things are, are difficult, but through everything, we give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God for Christ Jesus in you. You know, this is God's will. You know, people often ask the question, what is God's will for my life? You ever heard anybody ask that? Or maybe you've asked that? What is God's will for my life? What is that usually, what, when somebody asks that question, what are they asking? They're asking, what should I do? Do, right? What's God's will for my life? What should I do? And I hope you've heard me rant long enough to say the right question is, who should I be? Because the doing will follow the being if the being is right. So, you want to know what God's will for you is? To rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, right? Doesn't say anything about what, you, what kind of job you should have or, or, you know, who you should marry or anything like that. It just says, get your heart right right? And if that's not enough for you, Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And catch this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What's God's will for your life? It's to live according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, and it's to live according to 
Romans chapter 12, verse 2. That's God's will for your life. It's God's will for my life. God's will really is about the heart and the attitude way more than the works. Do not quench the spirit. So if the fruit of the spirit is love, that means we love one another. We don't, uh, if we, we walk in the spirit, there are things we can do to quench the spirit. Usually it's sin in our lives or being distracted or the other things we've talked about. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So it means having discernment. We need to be discerning. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Now can I just, if I can wind up with this. Notice this. We're reading about end times events. We've been talking about how should we respond because Jesus could come back any day. We read about the particulars of there's a rapture of the church followed by a great tribulation. And we read some therefore, this is how we live. And I love that this is how he wraps it up. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. What does sanctify mean? It's a $3 word for meaning I'm becoming more like Jesus. Who makes me more like Jesus? Me or him? Him. So may the God of peace himself be the one that sanctifies you Sort of? Completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body, that is, all of me, be preserved blameless. When? When he comes back. At the coming of our Lord Jesus. That means be ready. And he who, is called, he who calls you, that's God, is faithful, and he'll do it. He'll do it. So I could try harder. I could worry about this, I could fret about this, I could freak out about this, uh, particularly as I think about, you know, the lack of world peace and the lack of world safety, and I could kind of make my brain go crazy and read a little more of CNN just in case I'm not crazy enough, and, and I could worry and I could fret and I could do all of this, or I could recognize, you know what, God's going to make me completely sanctified. God is going to make me completely sanctified. And just for clarification, that includes my whole spirit, soul, and body preserved blameless when he comes back. He's going to make me ready. And he who calls me is faithful. Means he keeps his promises. By the way, he said he's going to do it, he'll do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. So there you go. I read this to all the holy brethren. The grace, it always ends with grace. It's amazing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So, Jesus is coming to rapture the church prior to the great tribulation, and it could happen at any moment. Therefore, we need to be ready. We need to be sober. We need to live like people who are in the, of the day and not of the night, who are of the light and not of the darkness. The knowledge of the imminent return of Jesus Christ should affect how we live. It should affect how we live. It should give us discernment. It should dry, drive us into the Word, but it shouldn't freak us out because we know that it is God, verse, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, God who works in us both to will and and to do for his good pleasure. We'll be ready. We'll be ready. He's going to make us ready. Along the way, let's be diligent. Let's don't be asleep. Please, 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 let's be on the alert. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you give us these words. And we thank you that you encourage us in the midst of of these words to comfort and edify one another. And Lord, we ask that you would keep us faithful, that you would keep us alert, that we would be ready. We would be ready. 
not asleep, not in the dark, but ready. And patiently exhorting and encouraging one another that we can all uh, look forward, not with fear, but with, a, with great anticipation of your soon return. And we thank you for it, Lord. Have your way with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.